Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ and welcome to First Presbyterian Church of San Antonio. We are so glad that you're here this morning and I just, I am just so energized this morning just seeing a few more people that we haven't seen in a while back in our presence today. I just, I just love that. Welcome back. Welcome to you online. It is so good to be gathered together however we're gathered. You know, it is funny though, you know, as, as people are starting to get the, the vaccines and people are starting to regain some confidence. We're starting to see people returning to church. Um, I wouldn't say in huge numbers yet, but, but it is so gratifying to see everybody as you come back. But somebody asked me this morning, said, Bob, have you gotten the vaccine yet? I said, well, no, I'm not the right age yet. And my, my, uh, I don't have any really precarious health, health conditions. And besides, I'm such a Calvinist that I just figure that, well, when it's my time, I will get the vaccine and it won't be a minute too soon or a minute too late. It'll just be right on time. So I'm just glad to be here, and I am so glad. We are so glad that you are with us today, especially as we gather around the Lord's table in a time, of, a time in our lives when so many other gatherings are put on hold. Isn't it great to know that we can come together around the Lord's table in his house to worship him? What a glorious, glorious thing. Well, let me introduce us today to our scripture lesson. We're continuing through the book of Mark, talking about how the story of Jesus is the foundation of our story, not only of our individual, our personal stories, but our foundation as our story, of our, our story as a church, especially in our 175th year of ministry. And so, if you will, look in your bulletin. Or gather uh, or join with me in looking in your Bible or on your phone, wherever you would like to read these words of Scripture. Of course, you can follow me on the screen. But we're going to be reading from the Gospel of Mark, beginning in the first chapter, verse 21. This is a story of, of Jesus going to preach in a synagogue in Capernaum. And they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath, Jesus entered the synagogue and was teaching. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. And immediately there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, what have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him saying, be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit, convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice, came out of him. And they were all amazed, so that they questioned among themselves, saying, What is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And at once his fame spread everywhere, throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. Let us pray. O oh Lord, your word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. We ask you, O oh Lord, to speak to us. Speak for your, your servants are listening. And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be holy and acceptable to you, O oh Lord, our rock and our redeemer. For it is in the name of your Son, our precious Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit that we pray. Amen. For generations, teachers and elders had been teaching in this synagogue. They'd been reading the law, they'd been reading the prophets, they'd been reading the wisdom of the word of God. But on that day, the word just came alive. 
When Jesus stood up to read the scriptures, they realized this is no ordinary teacher. When he read the scriptures and when he spoke, it was different. And Mark doesn't say that he was smooth or that he was polished. It doesn't say that he was funny or erudite or clever or loud or soft or practical or long-winded or short-winded. Mark says that the people said that he spoke with authority. For he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. The difference between Jesus and his teaching and that of the scribes is that Jesus' teaching had the authority of the author. The authority of the author. Let me explain that. Several years ago, I was at a conference in Orlando, I believe, and at this conference, it was a church conference, at this conference, they broke us out into small groups, and our, our small group was discussing an issue, and, and I had just recently read a book about this issue by one of my favorite pre- professors and writers. His name is Bradley Longfield. And it was a book about church history, and it was a, uh, just a wonderful account of how the church got from where it was to where it is. And, and I was telling them about this book, and everybody was really interested about it, uh, interested in the book. And so we had a great discussion. It was just a lot of fun to share with them something that I'd read. Well, so we took our lunch break, and then we reconvened after the lunch break. And as we reconvened at our table, there was a new member of our group. And as I looked at his name tag, it suddenly hit me. He's like, oh my gosh, it was Dr. Bradley Longfield, the author of the book I had just been describing to the, book, to the group this morning. And when, and when he got there, and when we sat down to discuss, I said, I said y'all, y'all aren't going to believe this. You remember the book that I was describing to you this morning? This is the guy who wrote it. This is the author. He's the one that I was telling you about all morning long. And so, oh, that was great. And everybody's like, oh, that's so wonderful. We look forward to reading your book. So we started discussing it again. And they all looked at me and they started asking me questions. I said, no, y'all, I've read the book. He wrote the book. Don't ask me, ask him. I, I, I I just read it. He's the author. You see the difference? The scribes and the teachers had read the book, but Jesus had the authority of the one who wrote the book. The people who heard Jesus that day recognized that he taught with an authority that set his teaching on a whole level unthinkable to the scribes and the teachers of the law. As Christians, we believe that that is because his teaching carries the authority of God himself. How is that? Well, first, it's because Jesus is the Son of God. Let's go back to that story of Jesus' baptism that we read just a few weeks ago. When Jesus came up out of the water at his baptism, the heavens split and a voice thundered saying, this is my beloved son and with him I am well pleased. At that moment, God claimed Jesus as his own son, but that's not the last time it happened. 
It happens again in chapter 9 of Mark's gospel when, once again, God speaks aloud and says, this is my beloved son. But this time he says, this is my beloved son. Listen to him. Listen to him. It's just like when John's gospel testified that whatever Jesus says is the word of God. John 12, 49, for I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me has himself given me a commandment, what to say and what to speak. In other words, the word of Jesus, the things that Jesus say, says, these are the words of God. The second reason that we believe that Jesus has a, a unique authority I want you to remember that at his baptism, the Holy Spirit descended on Jesus like a dove. And when that happened, Jesus was utterly possessed by the Holy Spirit of God. God the Holy Spirit is the author of Scripture. And so when the Holy Spirit descended on Jesus like a dove, the Father, the Son, the Spirit, and, and all three members of the Trinity embraced in total communion and the word of God was present there with them. And so third, and most of all, Jesus knew the word of God better than the scribes because Jesus Christ is the living word of God. Mark doesn't tell us this, but John testifies that in the beginning was the word and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Now, when John says that Jesus is the Word of God, he is saying that Jesus is the expressed will of God. He is what God wants us to know about who he is, what he wants us to know about what's important, about how he feels, what he commands us to do. It is about, he is what God wants us to know about himself. What God wants us to know, he expresses through his word and he expresses through Jesus. And so to take this whole analogy another level, Jesus is not just the author of the book. Jesus Christ, the word incarnate, is the book he is the true expert and the people listened to him because they could see it they could feel it they could hear it that he had the authority of god but let's get to the really exciting part of this story verse 23 says that now there was a man in their synagogue with an unclean spirit and the man with the unclean spirit cried out, saying, Let us alone. Leave us alone. What have, you, what have we to do with you, Jesus of Nazareth? Did you come to destroy us? I know who you are. The Holy One of God. I want to step back for a second. I want you to think about this encounter. I never thought about this before, but this man living under demonic influence, had just come into this synagogue. 
Think about other stories of exorcism in the Bible. Unlike other stories in which demons are cast out, this man was not found in a graveyard. He was not dragged into the public square. He was not even dragged into the synagogue. Unlike other stories in which a demon is cast out, this man was not brought convulsing, dragging and kicking, screaming, raving or foaming at the mouth. No, he just walked into the synagogue all by himself because apparently he was quite comfortable in this little country synagogue until Jesus arrived. You know, it scares me to think that there might be some small or large synagogues and churches where a spirit of infirmity, a demon, might feel, might feel like he could operate comfortably and feel unthreatened. You know, who knows how long this demon had been in that synagogue sowing his poison pretending to be one of them. But that's what the enemy does. The devil sneaks into our lives, sneaks into our relationships, even into the church to sow his lies and rebellion. He says things like this, you can't, you shouldn't, you're too weak, you're too guilty, you're too sinful to do bold things for God. You're too stupid. People won't like you. You're too broke. You'll lose your job. You're too poor. You're unemployed. You have a bad reputation from mistakes that you've made in your past. Or maybe he takes another tack. You're too smart for this. You're too busy. You don't need to get involved. You don't have to take God seriously. And then his favorite, I think, is this. You don't need Jesus. You're doing just fine without him. You know, it's not hard to imagine the infernal enemy operating in the church like that right now. You know, right now I believe that the devil is whispering all kinds of conspiracy theories and lies from both the right and the left to deceive, to distract, and to divide the church. To make brothers and sisters choose sides against one another and to undermine the unity and the credibility of every congregation. People text and tweet and propagate these theories while others live in fear and see the devil around every corner and behind every door. And I think he loves to make us suspicious of one another. I find it fascinating that here's this unclean spirit, this destroyer, what does he say? He says, have you come to destroy us? Did you hear that? Have you come to destroy us? Not come to destroy me, but have you come to destroy us? You see, what he's saying is he wants us to think that Jesus is the threat, that Jesus has come to overturn the little kingdoms that they've made for themselves and take away their autonomy. And I think that what had been happening is that somehow that unclean spirit, that foul thing had been living in this person, infecting and manipulating this community for years. This demon had been there so long that it was like one of them. And Mark tells us 
that the people were amazed. When this thing is finally revealed, it's clear that they didn't have any idea that a demon had been living among them in the first place without them even knowing it, operating right under their noses. It's one thing to believe in demons in an abstract or a theoretical way, but quite another to find out that one's been living in your midst like a tumor, like a malignancy, this parasite that had grown cell by cell, year by year, so slowly that they didn't even realize it was a threat. But Mark tells us that when Jesus arrived, the man with the unclean spirit convulsed. Why? Because Jesus was the Holy One of God. And as such, Jesus carried the authority of God. And Jesus said, get out. Jesus rebuked him saying, be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice came out of him. And Mark tells us that they questioned among themselves, saying, what is this? A new teaching with authority? He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. Now, when we consider our story for today, it's important for us to ask not only, what does it tell us, but what was Mark's purpose? What, what purpose does it serve in Mark's overall story. Mark knew that most of the people who would read his gospel were not present when Jesus walked the earth, and most of those who would read it were not there to see him perform miracles or exorcisms, and most of those who read it were not there to hear him speak. So what is Mark trying to tell us? What is he trying to communicate in this story? Well, two things. Number one, that Jesus spoke with authority. Number two, that when Jesus spoke, people listened. Some of you all may remember the very old successful ad campaign from an old stock, stock brokerage firm, E.F. Hutton. Y'all remember that? Some, I'm seeing some nods around the room. For those of you who don't remember it, these two people would be shown in a crowded, noisy restaurant talking about stocks and bonds, and one would say to the other, well, my broker is E.F. Hutton. And E.F. Hutton says, and then all of a sudden the whole room would get quiet. And it could happen in a football stadium. It could happen in the jungle. It could happen on a crowded plane. But when E.F. Hutton talks, you remember the slogan? When E.F. Hutton talks, people listen. That's right. When E.F. Hutton talks, people listen. Why did Mark tell this story? What did Mark mean when he said that Jesus spoke with authority? He means that when people heard Jesus, they knew they better listen. But more than that, Mark wanted us to understand that Jesus is someone that we can trust. We have just experienced one of the ugliest political seasons most of us have ever had to endure. And one of the most damaging wounds that we have suffered is the loss of common trust and a common sense of truth. What happens to people 
What happens to the American people if the news is controlled and suppressed by politically biased journalists and social media platforms? There's an old expression that everyone is entitled to his own opinion, but not to his own facts. And nowadays, sadly, thanks to the chaos and saturation of social media, everyone seems to be reading from their own set of facts. And many of those facts are falsehoods. In our public life and in our politics, we've been burned and lied to so many times in the past by politicians of both parties and by the press that we don't know whom to trust. And it just makes us cynical. Whom can we trust? Well, Mark's answer, predictably, is that you can trust Jesus. And I'm not just being glib about that. What Mark wants us to understand is that his authority is like no other philosopher, like no other opinion maker or influencer or statesman. He's like no other poet or holy man or self-help guru before or since. Because unlike any other person who ever spoke, he spoke with the authority of God. Jesus had unique, authentic authority. And Mark is calling us to trust Jesus with our very lives. You know, Jesus isn't just trapped in this building for seven days a week. He goes out there with us, and he wants us to put our lives in his hands, our business lives, our school lives, our social lives, and especially our eternal lives. He wants us to put our eggs in his basket. And that's why Jesus said to this demon, be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit, convulsing and crying out with a loud voice, came out of him. Jesus commanded, and he obeyed. At his baptism, the Lord of heaven himself declared, this is my son. And then, in this Capernaum synagogue, the landlord of hell was forced to admit, I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Jesus' authority was recognized not only by the power of heaven, but even by the powers of hell. And so now, this question begs a question, this passage begs a question of us. If God has given him all authority in heaven and on earth, and even the demons know that they must conform to his will, and the people who saw him face to face recognize his authority, when is it going to be acknowledged by you and by me, by us? Not just with our lips, but with our lives. When are we going to take him seriously? When are we going to believe and live like we believe? that he has the power to make a difference, not only in our lives, but in the world. You see, as Christians who would be disciples, we say that Jesus has authority over our lives. That is to say that he has the exousia, 
the rightful legal standing, the actual and unimpeded power to act or to possess or to control or even to dispose of us. But that also means that he has the right to command our repentance and our trust, to call us to trust him and to change our lives. And why does he have this authority? He has this authority over us because he made us. He is the author of our very existence. We are the characters in his story. All of creation was created for his glory, including man. He does not exist for us, but we for him. And this is where a lot of people have a problem with Christianity. This is where a lot of people have a problem with Jesus. Because they don't want to believe that one guy who lived 2,000 years ago has universal authority for you and for me and for people now. They don't want to believe that every single person in the world must obey this one particular Jewish man who lived 2,000 years ago. I mean, we don't mind Jesus' authority until it interferes with our own autonomy. I want you to put those two words in juxtaposition to one another, authority and autonomy. As long as Jesus doesn't ask us to live a disruptive or holy life, as long as he doesn't ask us to forgive people who are hurting us, as long as he doesn't ask us to live with patience when we, want, when we feel urgency, then we don't mind him. But then when he does, we become like children throwing a tantrum. I love it. Come out here to the playground, playground some, some weekday inevitably you're going to hear some kid stomping his feet saying, you're not the boss of me. I can do it on my own. I know better. I don't need you. I can do it all by myself. Why was that demon in that synagogue? Why had he been there for years? He was there to drive a wedge between God and his people to deceive, to distract, and to divide. The myth of autonomy is just one of the tools that Satan uses to try to separate us from God. He wants us to buy into the myth of, of our own autonomy instead of trusting in God's authority. And he wants us to turn to everyone but the author of our lives for answers. That's the issue, isn't it? Are we going to trust the voices that tell us, you don't need him, certainly not every day. You're too smart for this. You're too busy. You're on your own. Others should have to fend for themselves. You don't need Jesus. You're doing just fine without him. Or maybe he sounds more like this. You're, un you're too unimportant to make a difference, too poor to have anything to offer, too bad to be forgiven too broken to be worth anything. Are we going to listen to that voice? Are we going to listen to the voice of the Savior whose authority heaven and earth and even hell acknowledge? Who says, I not only forgive you, I love you. I trust you. And I want you with me in my work. You are valuable. 
You are strong. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. You are imaginative. You are smart. You are able to resist temptation and even to endure suffering for my name. You can make a difference in your family. You can love justice. You can show mercy. You can speak truth into darkness. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, you can cross those boundaries that divide people from one another and testify forgiveness of the sin that separates them from God. The authority of Jesus is the foundation of our hope and the foundation of our mission. He is the author of your story and of mine. So whom are you going to trust? The one who only wants to deceive, distract, and divide us? Or the one who wants your story to be a story of truth, of goodness, and love? Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, as we come to your table today, we come more like Judas, more like Peter, full of resistance, full of bluster, full of ignorance, and yet you call us still And you call us with authority. You call us knowing exactly who we are and our limitations, knowing our challenges, but also knowing that by your power and by your authority, your church will not fail. And so, O Lord, as we gather around your table today, we ask that you would remind us not only of your authority, but of your steadfast love for us. We thank you for holding us in the grip of your grace, and we ask you to awaken our hearts that we may truly follow you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Just before Jesus ascended, to his proper place at the right hand of God, to the throne of heaven, he said to his disciples, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given unto me. And by his word, we, the people of God, we, the people of Jesus Christ, his church, share that authority and call you, call all of us together to come to this table that we may know Not only his power, but his great love for us. One of the challenges that we have as people who live 2,000 years after Jesus walked the earth is believing what we cannot see and understanding what we can't feel. And so the night before his crucifixion, Jesus gave his disciples a sign, something tangible, to remind them that his authority and his love is as real for us 
as the bread that they eat and the cup that they share. He wanted them to understand that his love for them was as real as his body that would be broken for them the next day and his blood that would be poured out. And he wanted them to understand that his authority extended not only over their hearts, but over all creation. And that his father was going to raise him from the dead. And so we come to this table today to remember not only the battle, but to celebrate the victory in which Jesus demonstrated not only his love, but his authority. And so we come to this table today not because we are righteous, but because we are invited. Not because we're worthy, but because we are forgiven. We come to this table because our Savior, who gave his life so that we could know him and so that we could have the relationship with the Father that we are supposed to have, because he bids us to come. And he calls us to come and to share in this sacrament, the sign and seal of his covenant love for us. Because he wants us to feel in our hands and taste in our mouths something tangible that reminds us that his love and his authority is real, that it is authentic. As real as the bread that we eat and the cup we share. And so... Today, this is the joyful feast of the people of God. They will come from east and west and north and south to sit at table in the kingdom of God. And he bids you to come. He bids all those who confess him as Lord and Savior to come and share in this table. He invites all those who are baptized in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit to come and share at this table he invites all those who are here to witness his authority and his great love for us in the breaking of the bread and the pouring of the cup and the giving of his body and the draining of his blood. This is the table to which our Savior invites us to remind us in real ways that point to spiritual realities, that he has the authority over heaven and earth. And one day, every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Let us pray. It is truly right to glorify you, Heavenly Father, and to give you thanks for you alone are God, real, living, and true. All your works, the heights, the depths, echo the silent music of your praise. Confident of your goodness, your providence, and your love, we bring those to you who need your healing touch. We pray for those who have suffered the death of a loved one, perhaps the end of a marriage relationship, or the fading of hope. We pray for those who are ill, recovering from a surgery, for those whose illness is long or painful or difficult to cure. We pray for peace and unity in our country that is so divided and has forgotten what truth is. We pray for those who are hungry and homeless or searching for a job. 
You are holy, O God of majesty, and blessed is Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, the author of our lives. Sent to be our Savior, he took our flesh and dwelt among us, full of grace and truth. His words are true, and he is filled with authority. His, his touch brings healing and hope. He is our risen Lord forever. Remembering all your mighty and merciful acts, we take this bread and this cup from the gifts you have given us. We celebrate with joy the redemption won for us in Jesus Christ. Accept this, our sacrifice of praise and thanksgiving, as a living and holy offering of ourselves that our lives may proclaim the one crucified and risen. O gracious God, pour out your Holy Spirit upon us and upon these your gifts, this bread and this cup, that the bread we break and the cup we bless may be the communion of the body and blood of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. As this bread is Christ's body for us, send us out to be the body of Christ in the world. Give us strength to serve you faithfully and passionately until the promised day of resurrection, when with the redeemed of all the ages, we will feast with you at your table in glory. We pray this prayer in the strong and saving name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. As it was given unto me, so now I give it unto you. That on the night that he was betrayed, our Lord sat at table with his disciples. And after supper, our Lord gave thanks. He took the bread and he broke it and he said, This is my body, which is given for you. Take and eat and do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, our Lord took the cup and he said, this cup is the new covenant, sealed in my blood for the forgiveness of sins. Take and drink you all of it and do this in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat of this bread and drink of this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. And beloved, he will come again. These are the gifts of God for the people of God. Come, for the table is prepared, and he is calling for you.